Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom and State. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347 324 Good evening, everyone. My name is Preston Washington. I'm your host this evening for the Gifts of Freedom. I'm coming to you out of Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, we want to wish you and yours a very prosperous and healthy holiday season. Here from the Gift of Freedom. What we're going to do tonight, uh, since we are in the season of Christmas, is to present a clip in William Stills' book, The Underground Railroad, wherein he depicts a very daring escape by a loving couple, which started on a Christmas Eve. And uh, a couple Okay, of... hi Preston, this is Leslie Gist Tonight we have a great show We have police officers on the line From the 100 uh, Black Men in Law Enforcement Are you on the line, sir? Yes Okay, thank you Okay, that's the 100 Say that again Hello? Oh. Hello? Yes, this is uh, Eric Joseph, 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement Okay, welcome to the show. My name is Preston Washington, and I'm your host. I'm based out of Kansas City, Missouri. Where are you calling from, sir? Oh, I'm calling from New York City. I am. New York uh, I'm City. retired. Well, 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 let me let me correct that. I'm retired from the New York City Police Department, but I'm now calling. I'm now live, residing in the state of Florida. Oh, okay. So, and uh, thank you, history. thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. Give us a little bit of history on uh, 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement? Uh, we started in our organization in uh, 1995, and uh, basically we're uh, all black men in law enforcement uh, in a tri-state area uh, that includes not only New York City, uh, but the state of Connecticut, uh, the state of New Jersey, and uh, the state of New York. Uh, and various law enforcement uh, agencies and uh, various ranks within law enforcement. Mostly, most of our organization is comprised of New York City uh, police officers. Okay, I see. I know there was an organization back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, known as Noble, which was the act, uh, National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. Right. Uh, that's not an offshoot of that. No, not uh, at all. Um, we're, we're well, we're uh, well familiar with uh, Noble. Uh, Noble is mostly of uh, executive officers, meaning uh, uh, you know commanding officers, and uh, we're all okay. familiar with Noble, and uh, we're all familiar with uh, the Guardians Association. Uh, but uh, they're also very familiar with us, <laughs> and uh, and we're one hundred blacks in law enforcement who care and. Uh, and pretty much uh, similar situated as far as uh, ranks and uh, black men within law enforcement. Okay. I'm sure our listeners might be interested in what you, your uh, view and take on what's recently happened there in New York City with the uh, killing of the two police officers in Brooklyn. Well, we, listen, you know, uh, obviously it's, it's a tragedy. Uh, we're coming up on Christmas and uh, there are families that lost their, lost their loved ones. Uh, as law enforcement, we certainly uh, grieve their loss, and uh, that's what I have to say about that. Um, I will not subscribe to the union president 
uh, uh, that's the police uh, association uh, president, uh, Pat Lynch, who uh, continuously uh, are fanning the flames of uh, rhetoric in regards to, uh, uh, you know, uh, a black man killing two police officers. Uh, I will not fan that flames. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I just will limit to my comments to saying that it is a tragic loss. And, uh, and, um, and you know, we, we're just going to have to get past through Christmas. I am, however, deeply concerned about the aftermath and my experience in law enforcement uh, in regards to what's going to uh, contrive from, uh, you know, uh, these events, uh, from the funeral, uh, the retaliation, uh, the, what the people are going to go through in New York City, the protesters, uh, and in and, and large in part from what the police officers' union has already espoused, they are committed to, uh, you know, forming some sort of retaliation. So that is my concern. So, um, but with that said, we, we certainly grieve the loss of the NYPD. But, however, I'm going to say this, is that uh, I see the loss of police officers no more or no less different than the loss of any person or any civilian and in the, in this case, uh, uh, Darren uh, um, Michael Brown and uh, mm-hmm. Eric Garner in this case. So uh, I, I see them more lost more more or less. You know, I think they're all tragedies equally. And uh, and there are several different families uh, that's going to be without loved ones uh, this coming Christmas. So uh, you know, that is my position in regards to that. Is uh, your organization involved in any training for police officers around cultural sensitivity? Um, well, we, our, our training is uh, we are a civil rights organization, and uh, our passion is to uh, for our community. And uh, what several programs that we have been successful in is uh, what to do and stop by the police and know your rights. It's one thing that we have uh, garnered over over 20 years in law enforcement is an understanding that uh, that our community is uh, basically devoid of knowledge of, on on uh, of the legal system and what to do and stop by the police, and unfortunately, oftentimes it, re, it results in uh, fatal consequences. So, uh, we uh, have incorporated a program in instructing our community our our kids, a young black and woman in uh, in uh, very in school, from uh, everywhere from junior high school to high school to college, and uh, and even as far as um, Harvard Law School, uh, the students in, in law school. So uh, we're very proud of that, and that's a program that we continue to institute because, a large in part, uh, the death of uh, of uh, Trayvon Martin, Jefferson Davis. And, uh, and and all these uh, most recent incidents, including Eric Garner and uh, 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 Eric Garner and uh, Michael Brown, has Michael resulted Brown. in it just basically you know uh, lack of knowledge in, in, when it comes to confrontation with police. So uh, we have been very instrumental in the education aspect of what to do and stop by the police. Now, uh, mind you that we all train law enforcement, and we work from various sides in narcotics, SWAT team, uh, uh, supervisors in, in law enforcement, and, uh, you know, and this information has been imperative to install as far as the perspective of what, uh, how to deal with police and, and the education as far as constitutional rights, what to do and stop by the police, uh, this has been very successful in our community, and we're committed to doing that. What has been the level of support that you've received from uh, the commanding officers of the various police departments, the command staff? Are you saying that the commanding officers? Yeah, the, the, uh, you've gotten support from the command staff and these various police departments in which um, your organization is prominent. And, and backing your educational program, support for those educational programs. Yeah, to answer your question, yes, we have support, uh, but 
to take it further, not enough. Uh, we haven't had enough support as far as, uh, you know, veteran law enforcement training, uh, new recruits coming out of the academy. Now, mind you, uh, part of my resume, uh, I was an instructor in the New York City Police Department for probably about four or five years. And I taught, uh, taught the law. I taught physical training and tactics. Uh, as, you know, an active member of law enforcement, I see now uh, currently uh, the administration is seeking to call back retired members like myself uh, to teach uh, recruits. Um, in my opinion, I think the horse is already out the barn. Uh, I don't know how successful that program is as far as having retirees like myself come back and teach recruits. Um, in my humble opinion, I think that uh, the philosophy of the police department has to change, not just New York City, but nationwide. And, and that philosophy has to transition from the police seeing the community as uh, enemies to uh, the a philosophy of community policing, where the policing are where police officers are working with the community. And, and, you know, that's not a far-fetched uh, philosophy. We used to have that. And I think uh, that was in place well before 9-11. I think, in my opinion, that after 9-11, uh, it, it transitioned from community policing where everybody knew the police officer, where we were considered public servants and we enjoyed our job as in, 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 uh, and working in the community after 9-11, it's, it's, it's almost like uh, the, the community came, became enemies of the state. And uh, that is a philosophy that uh, the current uh, police commissioner, Bratton, has, uh, has subscribed to. And I think it was a huge mistake for Mayor de Blasio of New York City to uh, call back uh, Bratton as the police commissioner of New York City. And it's a very unfortunate he had very competent uh, uh, police commanders in place. Uh, uh, one person I know personally is uh, Chief of Department, Phil Banks III, uh, who was forced to retire, and uh, and subsequently First Commissioner, Deputy Commissioner Panero, uh, a Hispanic uh, individual who was also first to retire. So basically mm -hmm. well, when uh, Branton, who is white, who is a former commander, who uh kind of uh, created the unlawful stop and frisk program within New York City. Uh, basically, uh, you know, uh, got rid of the, the, the top brass of black, you know, of people of color and, uh, yeah, and, and changed the philosophy of the police department. And uh, we hold uh, Mayor de Blasio directly responsible for that. You know, speaking of philosophy, um, what about the philosophy of personnel decisions, uh, particularly in recruiting? Um, I know here in Kansas City, I was on the police department here uh, 1965 through 1980. Wow. And it always okay. amazed me. Yeah, it always amazed me um, the level of people that they hired who seemed to come onto the department with antique ideas, if you will. In other words, they thought like their grandfather's thought. Um, what is the personnel philosophy there in New York City and other cities where 100 uh, black officers are involved? Are there psychological tests? Uh, is there anything that needs to be done corrected in that area of recruitment? Well, <laughs> I don't think it's so much recruitment as it is as much as discipline. Uh, discipline and order, uh, the good order of the police department. What I mean by that is that uh, you can hire individuals. Uh, we certainly, uh, I'm certainly like the Kansas City Police Department, there's a psychological test, a background investigation, everything that you go through to become a police officer. But there's one thing that we, we cannot train our police for, uh, police officer, is racial animosity. People are, are racial animus. People who just have a racial animus towards other races, and the only way to really truly deal with that uh, is discipline and order. And what I mean by discipline, an individual uh, kills somebody, 
or cause serious physical injury uh, on the basis of a person's race. And not only that, the person has a history to do that. Nine out of ten times, the person that engages in this kind of activity um, has a history. For example, Eric Garner case. You know, uh, the police officer that kills Eric Garner, it's not his first time. He has two or three mm-hmm. other lawsuits pending against him. Uh, and at least two of them settled. Uh, so, you know, for and, and over $35,000. So, you know, it, it, it usually, you know, nine out of ten times the person has a history. It's not a first-time event. So um, this is not a training issue. This is not a recruitment issue, to answer your question directly. Uh, it's just a, a discipline issue. And in order to deal with that discipline issue, there has to be uh, justice in the criminal justice system. And uh, when you don't have criminal justice system, which is large in part, there really is an impetus of a lot of the uh, protests that's going on around the country. When people see that, uh, it, it calls for an outbreak of violence, you know, and uh, that's my opinion. Now, it seems like a lot of that behavior that these uh, a lot of police officers might come into that job with, they come in with learned behavior, Um and they have to go through a process of unlearning that behavior. And that is looking down on people of color, having certain opinions about people of color, et cetera. Uh, excuse me, I want the callers to know we have some callers on the line. We see you, and we will be opening up the lines here in about two to three minutes. Um, and we appreciate your uh, patience here. And um, Okay, so... What what really needs to be done? If we we, we talked about recruiting, uh, you see it as a, a a matter of training. No, I no, I, I hope you didn't misunderstand. I'm saying it's not a matter of training. And uh, let me be very clear. You know, we all we always can use training. Training is essential uh, to every police function. I don't think anybody would dispute that. So, uh, you know, we could always embrace training. And continual training and tactical training. Uh, one thing uh, that I did do uh, as an instructor, I was a tactical training instructor. I believe in training and, and, and as far as tactics, as far as survival. But that's not the point. Uh, my issue is not training, it is discipline. When I say discipline, when a police officer commits a crime, when a police officer violates policies of the department, he should be disciplined accordingly. And he should be a charge should be brought forth accordingly, accordingly if uh, death or injury results. That is the issue. The issue is not training; it is discipline, and it is uh, a matter of sometimes, unfortunately, criminal charges that need to be brought. In the case of Darren Wilson, in the case of the officer that killed uh, Eric Garner, it is not a matter of training; it is a matter of criminal charges that need to be brought. It needs to be adjudicated before the criminal justice system, a fair criminal justice system. So, uh, okay, you know, so that, talk- that discipline, that discipline then extends to the prosecutor's office in reference to um, the uh, Eric Garner and Michael Brown case, where the grand jury failed to return uh, positive indictments, and no, some were false. No, sir. I, I, I want to be very clear, and a lot of people have made that wrong kind of gesture. And you know, and when you're in the police department, we're in the Christian justice system. You're very much part of the Christian justice system. And when you're a, a police officer, you understand the the very close and cozy relationship that you have with the DA's office. You know that you're a large in part uh, bringing responsible for help bringing the charges against individuals. You know uh, sometimes that police officers have personal relationships with prosecutors and state attorneys. Uh, This is not unusual. So we have a close working relationship, sometimes a personal relationship. So it doesn't come down to the prosecutor. And this is why people are marching all over the nation, all over the country, uh, internationally, nationally. And it is a call for independent special prosecutor. That's the bottom line. That's that's the only way you can have any kind of stimulus of justice. You cannot have a, a justice coming by way of a local prosecutor if you think 
that, uh, you know, uh, a prosecutor is going to bring a charges sincerely against somebody he knows personally. You know, that's, that's tantamount of me bringing charges against you, sir. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Okay. You understand? It's just not going to happen. So in, in, in that case, we, we have to uh, uh, require a special prosecutor when it comes to police officers, uh, uh, you know, either killing or seriously injuring somebody in the line of duty. You know, it should be an automatic inference to special prosecutor. And that's what we're looking forward to doing. You know, we understand now, and I think the people that's protesting understands now that it could be no longer be the case where we rely on a longer district, uh, our, our local district attorney to prosecute these cases. Okay, we gotta have okay. a special prosecutor that's completely independent of local law enforcement. And I think most would agree with you on that. Let me see if we get some callers in here. Caller from area code three four seven. Are you still there? Hello. Yes. Oh, I didn't. I I didn't know that. Uh, I was going to be contacted, but in any event, just want to commend. Um, Eric Josie from 100 Blacks and Law Enforcement. He has um, um, been the, the legal mind behind 100 Blacks and Law Enforcement. And just in case he didn't say it, we're, we're very well aware of those historical organizations that was uh, named, whether it was Noble, whether it was uh, the Guardians Association and other groups. However, 100 Blacks and Law Enforcement is the group of record that has been the voice for black law enforcement in the tri-state area. These organizations, honestly, uh, have not been seen, have not been heard on the critical issues that ill affect our community. So 100 blacks in law enforcement, if you come here to New York or in the tri-state area, they will tell you we're the ones that have defended uh, black uh, law enforcement that's been under attack. We have defended our community. Certainly when uh, white cops have killed um, black cops, uh, those organizations are not seen or heard from. It's 100 blacks in law enforcement that will defend black officers in those particular situations. So um, I just want to say that I joined with uh, Brother uh, Eric Josie in that our condolences go out to the families of those police officers, and certainly this is the worst time of the year. If there is a worst, this is the worst time of the year for anyone to have to endure uh, that type of hardship during these holidays that you spend without your loved ones. But I, I believe that um, it had nothing to do with the current protests that are going on all over the country. I think it was an individual act. I think this uh it had nothing to do with um the protest rhetoric uh that's been going on across the country because what they're saying is right. The two primary things that has been said uh for the for the past four months has been hands up, don't shoot. There's nothing anti police about that or the saying about I can't breathe. There's nothing um um anti-police about those sayings, and those have been the prevailing thoughts of people that have been demonstrating and protesting throughout the country, and some police departments have took offense to it. Certainly, you're, you're talking about the state of Missouri. Uh, the police department in St. Louis took offense to uh, five players from the, um, from the um, St. Louis uh, pro, pro football team and just coming out with their hands up. That's all they did. All the all all the Rams did was they, they just came out with their hands up. And um, the, the the police department demanded that uh, they be disciplined, wanted them fired, and 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 then wanted a public apology from the NFL as well as those five players, all for just putting their hands up. So. And you juxtapose that with a Pat Lynch, who's the president of the PBA right here in New York City, the way he's fanning the flames, the worst rhetoric is coming from professionals. 
it's not coming from uh, civilians, um, black civilians throughout the um, country. The worst rhetoric that I've seen and heard is actually coming from the people that are paid to be professional, the people that are paid that are paid to be public servants. So um, I commend Josie for um, for so much for the legal work that he's done, and and the fact that 100 blacks in law enforcement is trying to teach our community how to de-escalate these situations that come out. Our what to do when stopped by the police has been televised. It has been all throughout the Tri-City area. I remember me and Eric is going as far as Jersey and taught people what to do when stopped by the police. So uh, I think that um, uh, when all is said and done, uh, reasonable minds need to come forward and understand that with um, uh, the death, and it was truly an execution of those two police officers, that should make reasonable minds come to the fore as opposed to Patrick Lynch that's fanning the flames, that's trying to make the police department into a them and us situation where there will be clear hostility from roll call all the way to the end of, end of one's tour with the view that the black community is somehow an enemy. So um, that's the thing. Yes. Yeah, we appreciate the call. I have someone else on the line, I believe, from uh, the St. Louis area. And uh, we appreciate the comment. Right. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Area code 314. Are you there, 314? How about area code 381? Okay. Okay, the callers that are on the line, don't hang up. Uh, Area code 914, you're on the air. 914, you're on the air. How about area code 879? Are you there, caller? I hear somebody there. Is that 879 area code? How about area code 212? Are you there? Are you there, caller? Is that? Okay, how about area code 914? Are you there? Yeah. Yes. Caller, where are you calling from? What's your first name? And your question or comment. Hello. You have a radio on in the back. Yes. Do you have a radio on in the background? You might want to turn that down. Okay. Area code 494. Are you there? Okay, Eric. Um, we're it seems like you got a lot now. of callers, but uh, it seems like you got a lot of callers. But for some reason, I hear music in the yeah, background. Nobody was really responding. Go ahead. Exactly, a lot of background noise there. A lot of times, people don't have their their radios or TV on and create the feedback that they can't hear me. Oh, uh, okay. It seems like the music stopped. It seems we could reach out to somebody. Okay. Okay. Well, it'd be area code nine one four or four nine four if you're there. Okay, well, the engineers will notify us uh, if anyone should call back in um, uh, to the program. Um, I thought the the caller that did get through uh, brought up a very interesting point in reference to police professionals, uh, their response to some of the demonstrations by other professionals, uh, he mentioned the uh, St. Louis Rams players who came out on the field with their hands up uh, gesture. I think a couple of players in the NBA um, during the warm-up of the basketball games were wearing I Can't Breathe uh, T-shirts and whatnot. Um, So I thought he brought up a very uh, excellent uh, 
excellent point there. What about uh, police residency requirements there in the tri-state area uh, when well, you're recruiting? Yeah. Is there is there a residency requirement? Well, that has evolved over a 30-year period, and I could say at one time uh, it was you, you basically come from anywhere, and then at one point uh, the, the city uh, insisted that uh, their officers uh, would be hired from within New York City. Uh, that played for a while. Then it was, uh, you know, within New York City and outside boroughs. So the point being is it kind of evolved over several years as far as residency requirement. Our position has always been that the, uh, the police officers should derive from uh, New York City. Uh, most of the New York City Police Department, uh, majority of the New York City Police Department, more than half, reside outside of New York City. Uh, I was very privileged to be part of a program where the, at one point they uh, gave uh, preference to um, police officers that live within the city. And I think that's important. Why is that important? Why is that a call out? Because uh, we believe that people that live in the city uh, are less likely to um, have, they're more likely to have an understanding and relationship with the community as opposed to uh, police officers that, uh, you know, uh, live outside the city. So uh, it's my understanding right now that the police department gives preference to people with the lives within the five boroughs of New York City. But however, that really seems like it hasn't really uh, defrayed a lot of numbers that uh, most police officers live outside of New York City. And uh, I don't think that's a huge issue as much as uh, the command structure, I think, <laughs> uh, that uh, that command leads the police department. For example, you know, uh, the current police commissioner is Bill Bratton. William Bratton. Uh, he's from Boston. <laughs> he's originally from Boston. Uh, mm-hmm. He led the Boston Police Department. He came to New York City for a period of time, then left to go to Los Angeles, and, and, and currently, right now, is commanding the New York City Police Department. So how seriously can we take, uh, you know, a, a demand on New York City police officers if William Bratton himself, uh, you know, is not originally from, you know, uh, you know, or even from the ranks of New York City Police Department? He was never a police officer within New York City, and nor did he go up through the ranks of New York City. You know, he was always imported from a, a, a you know, from outside agency, which is Boston originally. So we, you know, we take great issue with that. So that's really and, awesome. I, and I also want to, I also want to, the brother that called in, uh, brother Mike Graves, he's a co, one of our co-founders of our organization. He's, you know, he started with me. And uh, I give that brother so much re- uh, deference and respect, you know, for our organization. He bring, he, he brought up excellent uh, points and uh, also has a historic background of our organization. He's absolutely right. Well, 100 blacks in law enforcement who care has always been the forefront, even before Noble, before the Guardians, on many different issues. I mean, sitting down with the United States uh, District Attorney, on the Abner Weaver case, that was a big first case, and convincing the uh, Zachary Carter to uh, you know to take the case out of the Brooklyn District Attorney. Now this is a police officer that involved in a case that sodomized a uh, Haitian immigrant with a nightstick within a police department, within on duty in uniform, within the New York City Police Department, sodomized with a nightstick, and nobody ever believed it. And uh, and 100 blacks in law enforcement was in the forefront of that. And uh, we met with the United States District Attorney and convinced him to take the case out of the, uh, the local district attorney hands and, and prosecute it on a federal level. We was very successful in doing that. The, the local district attorney never touched the case. And as a direct result, the police officer that was involved in the case is now doing over 30 years in the federal penitentiary. So it can be success. But it cannot be. The point being is that it can't really be, not be any kind of success if it's prosecuted on a local level, like in Missouri, like in New York City in the Eric Garner case, or Missouri in the, in the um, Michael Brown case. It's just not going to happen. And I think people are starting to see that. Hopefully, they are starting to see that. And I hope and pray that the deaths of these two New York City police officers, which is tragic, will not set back 
the protests, uh, the legitimate protests that's going forward uh, nationwide and, and, in fact, internationally. Okay. Uh, getting back to uh, requirements in the uh, police recruitment, are there any um, special preference given for college degrees or does one have to have a minimum of an associate's degree? Um, are there any special educational requirements? I know here in Kansas uh, City, it, all required is a high school diploma, which could be a right, GED. The, the, right. The latest is is a uh, associate's degree, and uh, and also supplemented with uh, you know college credits may be supplemented with uh, law enforcement background. That is the latest. It used to be a minimum of, uh, a long time ago of just a high school diploma, but they have advanced to at least a associate's degree and uh, uh, at least uh, in, uh, that could be supplemented with a, a law enforcement background, uh, history of law enforcement background for, the, for some of the college credits. That's where it stands now. Okay. And um, getting back to um, taking these cases out of the hands of the local prosecutor, Who's going to make that decision? Are you guys, uh, is your organization uh, going to lobby Congress? Will that have to come from the federal level? Or is that going to have to be decided at the local level? Well, that, that's going to have to be decided by Congress. You know, um, that's going to have to be decided about the, the Senate and the House. And as you know, <laughs> we're in a real conundrum in regards to that. Uh, right now, uh, we're coming up on Christmas. We're coming up on the, a new year. And as you know, uh, the new year, we're facing a completely Republican House, uh, a, a House, a majority House Republican and a majority House in, in the Senate. I'm sorry, the Senate is going to be majority Republican. So I, I really don't know how much uh, I'm really going to get out of this House. We've seen that with Obama. Most of everything he had, he had to uh, advance as far as any kind of uh, uh, cause had to come by, by way of executive order. So, uh, you know, that, that, that speaks values on itself. Um, and my, our question has always been, within 100 blacks in law enforcement, what is the real need for a grand jury? I, I've been trying to figure this out for the last uh, several months, as, you know, when this became an issue. You know, what is the real need for a grand jury at all? And people don't understand, and that's why it's so important. We've got to start to really have a basic knowledge of the legal justice system. People don't understand that an indictment can be brought by a local prosecutor. What the, in both cases, in the Eric Garner case and the Michael Brown case, the prosecutor had an option to bring an indictment by prosecutorial information. In other words, they never had, they, they didn't have to go before a grand jury. Exactly. You understand? I want you. I want your listeners. I want you to understand that there was no need to go before a grand jury at all. Okay. Well, the reason why the, I was going to be hold on a second. The reason why I want to be very clear is because the reason why they went before a grand jury, they brought this case before a grand jury, so as to hide behind a grand jury. In, in, in exact cases, you know, very clear delineated in uh, in uh, Missouri where he was able to hide behind the grand jury decision. He said, see, they came up with it. It wasn't me. They came up with it. But we know that a prosecutor, a prosecutor could uh, indict a ham sandwich. It's been well known. Uh, it's very limited information. I personally sat uh, as a grand jury. I sat in on a grand jury, meaning I was a grand jury myself, and there's very little information that is given. You know, this will happen. Uh, is there enough probable cause? That's it. But the bottom line is overall that a prosecutor, a prosecutor, can bring an indictment. Uh, in the uh, Trayvon Martin case, the only thing that the the, the special prosecutor Andrew Corey did in that case, the best thing she did, she didn't indict, she didn't bring it by a grand jury. She didn't bring an indictment by a grand jury. She brought it by way of a prosecutorial information. She never convened a grand jury to bring uh, George Zimmerman to, at least to a point of a trial. So that's my main point. Go ahead, man. Go ahead, sir. Exactly. Um, 
there are some who would say that the prosecutors took it to the grand jury simply because they did not want an indictment. And they guided that grand jury to the extent that it was ensured that a an indictment would not be forthcoming. For example, here in Missouri, in the uh, Michael Brown case, president, but Darren Wilson was allowed to come in and testify before this grand jury who was charged with deciding whether he should be charged with a crime. And that on its surface seemed to be outrageous and really got the temper of a lot of Missouri residents uh, up in the air with that. Um, Was there any such uh, maneuvers, known maneuvers by the prosecutor in the um, Eric Garner case that you're aware of? Well, absolutely. I mean, listen, you know, listen, you know, this is legal one-on-one. If a prosecutor has a case where a police officer is involved with the killing of a uh, of a black man, they're going to bring it to a grand jury. They're going to use the opportunity to bring the information that they see fit under the veil of secrecy. And there lies the problem. We will truly never know the information that was brought forth in either one of the cases. You know, the information that was brought forth is, you know, first of all, there's no information that was released in the Eric Garner case in the Richmond County of uh, New York City. None was released. And the information uh, that was released by the prosecutor in uh, in Missouri, we would never know the extent of what was released and what wasn't. All we know is what he claims that he released. You know, so we're not, exactly. we've got to stop being in a position to be bamboozled and hoodwinked. The bottom line is we're talking about a very low threshold of probable cause, period, whether the case advanced forward to a trial. Both cases should have had at least produced a trial, a public trial, so that we could uh, vet the information, people could understand what's going on. That is a true criminal justice system. That didn't happen here. And that is why the people are, lo- are outraged and losing their mind. People are livid. I mean, you, you, for, if you want to just say, for example, you know what, let's, let's just put Michael Brown case to a side for a minute, even though I, I thought there should have been at least an indictment in that case. In, in uh, Eric Garner case, there was a video. It's undisputed about the facts. It's undisputed. You, you didn't need witnesses, and yet there's still no indictment. That's outrageous. And that is why people nationwide internationally, in London, to Portland, Oregon, to New York City, all over the nation, are marching. And my fear, I'm telling you outright, my fear, and you can watch this as it unfolds, that these two uh, uh, deaths of the police officer in New York City will stifle uh, uh, marches and uh, protests within New York City. And uh, the the PBA union is making sure that the rhetoric that's been coming out here has been unprecedented, and uh, and, it's, and and also borderline illegal. Some of the things that he have have said outright, but yet he's calling for people that have been on social network calling for the death of police officers, but yet he's been stoking the flames himself. The double standard is outrageous. The arbitrary and capricious manner of behavior by the uh, the PBA is has been outrageous and borderline illegal. So um, this is what we're facing. And the, and the reason why we can say that because myself and the brothers on the phone, Michael Graves, we've been through it. We experienced it. And we experienced the racial animosity that comes from white officers, particularly when a black person kills a black police officer. We know what we're looking forward to. I don't think America's understanding what we're about to face coming into 2015. We didn't even, we didn't even bury these cops. And the rhetoric that's coming from New York City police officers is beyond comprehension and beyond wow, anything yeah. I've seen before. And I'm telling you, uh, you haven't seen anything yet. And this is and what these deaths these two New York City police officers is going to malaffect uh, protests nationwide because uh, this is going to be 
a a some sort of uh, green light for police officers nationwide to start cracking heads of uh, of protesters in the street, and somehow it's all going to be justified. And this is not something that I'm making up. This is not something that uh, I'm just you know. This is something I witnessed yeah. over years. Yeah, I'm sure you're over not. years, it, it, you feel what I'm saying? This, exactly. this is something I witnessed. I feel you on that. Yeah. You know, this is something that I witnessed over the years that I could base it on. We can cite cases on where where uh, white officers have shot and killed black police officers. So you you're talking about white officers killing black police officers, let alone civilians. Mm-hmm. And you don't even hear about it. You don't even hear about it. Some of the officers lived, some of them have died. And this is what myself and Michael uh, Michael Graves, the brother you just talked to earlier, has been dealing with on a regular basis. So I'm hoping okay. that, you know, your, your callers, you be able to reach some of your callers and we'll be able to hear their opinion. Because yeah, you know, before, you, before, you get, before you get to the caller, I just want to say this. Uh, as I said before, of course, as law enforcement, our heart goes out to you know the families of law enforcement that lost their lives. But at the same time, <laughs> people hated Malcolm X when he said, when he made a quote, he made a statement when uh, John F. Kennedy was killed. And he said, uh, you know, uh, the chicken has come home to roost. Exactly. People lost their mind. But if you think about it, it's a biblical principle. What you sow is what you shall reap. When you sow violence, when you sow violence, when you plant violence, you will reap it. And violence has been planted for years of black men have been killed. At some point, it's going to revisit you. I didn't make this up. Malcolm X said this. And it's true. This is a biblical principle. Not only that, God has said this, but he said, what you sow is what you shall reap. What you plant, what 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 you plant is going to grow. In America... And the, and the police departments have sown many black deaths in the ground. And unfortunately, I'm telling you, you know, I, I, I people may disagree with what I said. People may resent what I said, and especially coming from a, a police officer. So I like to hear this from law enforcement. I've been there. We've been there. And I'm telling you, we're sowing death and it's reaping upon us now. Where How would it... individuals well, feel so inclined, it's just a natural human instinct to defend yourself at some point. There are many people ready to die at this point because they feel that they have no hope. And that's the honest to God truth. And I'd like to hear um, what your caller's got to say about that. Okay, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Before we check on the callers, have any dates been set for these officers' uh, services as yet? I'm sorry, what was that, brother? Were there any, have any dates been set for the officers' funerals, or is it too no, early? No, no, none has no. been set yet. Uh, this, uh, the, uh, the death of these two police officers was only yesterday, so uh, there has been no uh, wake services set. There has been no um, uh, funeral services set yet. Um, not as yet to answer your question. Okay. And, uh, I was I, I was just set before the next two weeks is over that you you there, there will be information in regards to uh, the the wake arrangements and the funeral arrangements for these two officers uh, because uh, you know I, I suspect that it's going to give opportune time for uh, uh, police law enforcement nationwide all over the country to respond, uh, which is typical and when it comes to a police officer, a fallen brother. Uh, you know, officers come on from all over the country. So I, I would say within the next two weeks, uh, certainly after the holidays, I, I don't see any kind of arrangements. I don't, I don't see foreseeing any kind of arrangements uh, being made before the new year. Okay, well, we'll certainly be on the lookout for that. And uh, right now we've run out of time, um, Eric. Uh, before we go, is there contact information for your organization? How Will our listeners be able to stay in touch with you, contact your organization, et cetera? 
Absolutely. Um, once again, our name, our organization name is 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement Who Care. 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement Who Care. And our um, website is 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement dot org. 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement dot org. And our office number is 718-455-9059. Once again, it's 718-455-9059. For those who uh, are in need of assistance, need uh, legal advice, uh, and uh, or just want to talk. Well, we'll be happy to just go give us a call during normal business hours, and we'll be happy to respond to your call. Are you available to police departments outside the tri-state area? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, we we we. Uh, I personally uh, do consulting. I do uh, uh, lectures uh, nationwide and uh, blacks in criminal justice uh, program. Uh, uh, you know, so I, I find myself uh, traveling a lot. Uh, absolutely. If anybody feels the need to, uh, you know, uh, want to uh, participate in our program, what to do about stop by the police, know your rights, uh, feel free to give us a call at 718-445-9059 or visit us at our website. But uh, that's okay. our direct communication. Great. Really appreciate your taking the time out of your... Uh busy schedule to uh, join us here at the Gifts of Freedom. My guest has been Eric Josie, 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement Who Care. And, again, that contact information is Brother, I, I, gotta, I, I, I appreciate that, brother. You, you, you're the only one to get the whole name correct with the who care at the end. <laughs> Thank you very oh, much. Okay. Yeah, well, I think that's, <laughs> Thank you. I think that's extremely important. And right. uh, uh, 100 Blacks and law enforcement dot org is their website and their phone number right. is seven one eight four five five nine zero five nine. Eric, thank you again for joining us here at the Gifts of Freedom. Brother, thank you for having me. Okay. Thank you. Okay, good night. Good night.